outline that I have uh, provided for you, Nebuchadnezzar's <clears throat> dream is somewhat outlined and emphasized in this chapter. And it's a very important chapter, so we're going to give it a couple weeks at least, or a couple lessons. Tonight we want to look at, as you can see in the outline, the dream received by Nebuchadnezzar and the dream uh, as uh, they attempt to reveal it. And so... And then we'll conclude by looking to the dream and the interpretation and do our best to try to get you involved in prophecy because that's a very important part of Daniel's study because it takes in, it takes in uh, the entire scope of Daniel's 70th week. Uh, it also takes in <clears throat> the entire scope of the times of the Gentiles. And it brings us all the way to the end of time to the millennium. As the stone comes down and sets up his kingdom, what's so interesting about that is the Bible uh, has, has pretty much given us the times of the Gentiles and uh, the age of the Bible in six millennial days. And then the Bible talks about the seventh day as a day of rest when we get over to Hebrews chapter 4. I, I think we've mentioned that enough times to worry we don't need to go there and look at that. Uh, God created the earth in six days, and he rested on the seventh, and he says there comes a day of rest for the people of God. And what's interesting, when we read over in the book of Genesis, chapter 1 and 2, <clears throat> we read that God created the heavens and the earth and all that's therein in six days, and he rested in the seventh. But there's something else that's interesting about that, too. The Bible says on the first day when he was finished, the evening and the morning was the first day. And we do that all the way through the sixth day. The evening and the morning was the sixth day. But when we come through the seventh day, there's no mention of the evening and the morning. Because when we get to the seventh day, it's everlasting. We who, you say, well, what about the uh, millennial reign? That's only a thousand years. But you're going to be in mortal bodies and you're going to be in everlasting bodies. And <clears throat> that's just going to be a bump in the program. Because uh, the Lord's going to create everything new, but you're going to be with the Lord from that day that Christ uh, comes for his bride and he sets, us, sets up his kingdom. We're going to be with him forever. And so <clears throat> I thought that was somewhat interesting, those little things that sometimes we don't notice when we're reading through the book of Genesis. There's no evening, no morning there on the seventh day. Why is that? Well, it's because that day is going to go on for all of eternity. Well, anyway, Daniel uh, is uh, the uh, prophecy that uh, gives us the understanding of God's program through the times of the Gentiles, beginning with Babylon and then ending with Babylon. How about that? And so it is a very interesting study. If you were to study the Word of God and just highlight all the passages of Scripture throughout the Bible that deal with prophecy, you'd find that 30% of the Bible deals with prophecy. That's how much prophecy is in the Bible. And, and all of it, except for the latter days that we're living in, has been fulfilled. And so if God has fulfilled all of that, he'll fulfill what is yet to come. Amen. So we're going to read down to verse number 23 of Daniel chapter 2, and then we'll go back and we'll make some comments on it. And we're going to break it up into two reads, verses 1 through 6, comments, and verses 7 through 23. So let's stand as we start off by giving reverence. I know you're tired. You worked hard all day. 
and you're looking for a moment of rest, but uh, you'll get a rest here in just a moment. But I want us to give reverence as we open the Word of God as we begin. And we read in verse number 1, And the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams wherewith his spirit was troubled, and his sleep break from him. Then the king commanded to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans, for to shew, or as we might say, show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream. And my spirit was troubled to know the dream. Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, O king, live forever. Tell us thy servants the dream, or thy dream, and we will show the interpretation. So the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The thing is gone from me. If you will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof, you shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made a dunghill. But if you show the dream and the interpretation thereof, you shall receive of me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, shew me or show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. Well, how interesting is that? And of course, we'll see later on, they said, well, no one can do that. And no king would ever ask us of such a thing. Only the gods know something like that. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your precious word. How exciting it is to study your word. Lord, help us to take an interest. I pray that uh, those that are watching uh, and perhaps for later watch uh, this live stream that we have would uh, also have the same interest. We pray, dear Heavenly Father, that those that, <clears throat> that just seem to have a hard time coming out on a Wednesday night, that you would spark their interest as well. We ask, dear Lord, that you stir up our hearts as we as we realize that we're living in some unusual days and that um, we would understand that what's happening right now could very well be the shadow of your coming. For we pray these things and ask it all in the name of Jesus and all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. Now, that's just a side note, and I put it in there for your understanding. Be careful about reading commentators. You read a commentator and they say, well, according to verse number one and two here, uh, we're not sure if it was the second year uh, that, uh, <clears throat> that Daniel was brought before the king or it was the third year. And so they debate over that. And if you look to several different commentaries, they have different views and they go into different arguments about it. Well, it's quite obvious when you read what the Bible has to say. The Bible made it very clear in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar, as we go back, verse number one. And in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed a dream. So, well, what's going on here? Well, <clears throat> we understand that Nebuchadnezzar reigned from 505 B.C. to 562 B.C. 43 years did he reign over uh, the uh, empire of Babylon. And so... <clears throat> We understand just by definition of what we read from Daniel chapter 5 and what we read over in Daniel chapter 1, verse number 18, if we jump 
back and forth to those passages that it had to be after the three years because Daniel made it very clear, pardon me, Nebuchadnezzar made it very clear uh, that uh, Daniel and Hananiah and Michelle and Ezariah and the rest of those princes had to be proven for three years before they could be brought before the king. We see that in Daniel chapter 1 and verse number 5 where the king appointed them daily provisions and then he told them that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. So at the end of that three years. Then when we drop down to Daniel chapter 1 verse number 18, now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the princes of the eunuchs were brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. So I believe that pretty much ends the confusion there. When the Bible talks about the second year of Nebuchadnezzar, I'm not sure exactly what that means, but we do know that they were brought in after three years. And then we see the threat. The threat's quite interesting. This is God's way of uh, letting Nebuchadnezzar know that these Babylonian gods and... Uh, <clears throat> Everything that their astrologers and magicians and their prophets have to say about these Babylonian gods and all the worship that he is dedicated toward these Babylonian gods is just a bunch of babble. And uh, <clears throat> these are nothing more than just pagan gods that were made up of men. They do not exist. They have no power. They have no ability to interpret dreams. Uh, they don't dwell with men because they don't exist. And so God is going to prove himself to be God before Nebuchadnezzar as he proved himself uh, to be God before Abraham. Because remember, Abraham come out of the Ur of the Chaldeans. And so basically, when you look at the genealogy of Abraham, he's pretty much a Gentile. And then uh, God pulls him out and through his seed, they become Hebrews. And then through Judah, they become Jews. But not all Jews, not all Hebrews are Jews, but all Jews are Hebrews because they all come from Abraham. And all Christians, whether you be Jew, Hebrew, or Gentile, we're all Abraham's children through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God had a purpose for bringing Abraham out of the earth, the Chaldeans, to get him away from all the pagan gods that his family had worshipped. So with that being said, God is using this uh, to reach Nebuchadnezzar. And so we get into the dream. Now notice in verse number 7 as we continue reading now, and we'll read down to verse number 23. So they answered again and said, let the king tell his servant the dream, and we will show the interpretation of it. And the king answered and said, I know of certainty that you would gain the time because you see, the thing is gone from me. But if you will not make known unto me the dream, there is but one decree for you. For you have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me. Till the time be changed, therefore, tell me the dream, and, sh I, sh and, pardon me, and I shall know that you can show me the interpretation thereof. Now, that's pretty good. And God allowed that because God, and only God knows what the dream is because God gave him the dream. And then God took, him, took it from the dream. And when Daniel tells him the dream, he'll remember the dream. 
The Chaldeans answered in verse number 10, as they stood before the king and they said, there is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Therefore, there is no king, Lord, nor ruler that asks such a thing. At any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. And it is rare thing that the king requires it. And there is none other that can show it before the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this cause the king was angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. And they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. Now when they slain those, they tore them to pieces, or they cut them to pieces. Now what some historians say that what they would do, they would take four uh, trees that they would grow closely together, or are at a certain distance, and they would tie the top of those trees with the branches cut off, and they would lower them down uh, between the trees, and then pull them up with ropes toward the top where the branches were pulled, where the tree stems were, were tied together. And then they would cut the ropes and the trees would pull them apart limb from limb. And that was a horrible death. No one wanted to die that death. But Daniel evidently, and I'm sure Ananias, Mishael, Michelle, and Azariah, I'm sure they're a little concerned, but they still have faith that God's going to work in this. So Daniel answered in verse number 11 for counsel and wisdom um, to that of Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon, made an appeal. He answered with this appeal to the king's captain, why is the decree so hasty from the king? So Eric made the thing known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give time. And that he would show the king the interpretation. So Daniel went to his house and made things known to Hananiah, to Meshel, and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercies of God, of the God of heaven, concerning the secret that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. So then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of the God for, of God forever and forever, for wisdom and might are his. And so he changeth the times and the seasons. He renoweth the er, he <clears throat> removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge unto them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and the secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness and in the light. And so Daniel here is pray, praising the Lord for how the Lord dwelleth within his people. And he goes on to say in verse number 30, 23, I thank thee and I praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who had given wisdom and might and has made known unto me now what we desired of thee 
for thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. So Daniel now is very confident that when he stands before the king and reveals before the king what God has revealed, that everything's going to be okay. And so thanks to Daniel, uh, these pagans that worship these polytheistic gods that no longer, that do not exist, and, uh, <clears throat> and that were somewhat... Uh, uh, the uh, oh, the number one religion within the Babylonian Empire and throughout Macedonia, uh, God is going to eventually show himself unto these Babylonians, unto the Chaldeans, unto all of those that were dwelling throughout the empire, that there is a true and a living God. Now what's interesting is the the Babylonians, they had many gods. It was a polytheistic religion and it was a religion made up of many pagan gods. They had a total of nine major gods that they worship. They worship Adad, the god of storms. They believed that Adad, the god of storms, was the one <clears throat> that when they obeyed his rules, everything would be pleasant, the climate would be well. But if they disobeyed uh, this pagan god, then he would bring hurricanes and storms and floods and uh, their life would be very miserable for disobeying him. So they were faithful to worship him. And so he's depicted as uh, there have been archaeologists that have pulled up uh, various uh, figurines symbolizing who, uh, what this god was supposed to look like, carrying a lightning fork, symbolizing his power over nature. And then there was the god Murdoch, the god of thunderstorms. <clears throat> He was an agricultural god. They obeyed him. Their crops were well. There was healing. There was magic and so forth. And, um, and they believed as long as they worshipped these pagan gods, uh, that they would eat well, their crops would do well, that God would, their gods would show blessings upon them. And then there was what is referred to as the god of war, Nergal. He was the God of death and destruction. They, they believed that he would go with them into war and he would help them to win the battle. And there was the God, uh, the goddess, uh, the mother to the gods. And her name was Tamar. And she was uh, a primordial goddess. In other words, they believed that she existed before in some other form. And she came up out of the Sultan Sea. She was the mothers to the gods of the city of Babylon, and she is believed to have been given birth to the first generation of gods. And so she is depicted in a very weird way with two wings rising up out of the sea, that is the Salton Sea, with a face like a serpent and her body and her legs wrapped uh, with uh, a serpent around her legs. And then there was, I guess we want to say E or E-A, the God of wisdom. And so he was the one that governed the atmospheres, the heavens, and the land. And he sat in heaven and he judged over everybody. And then there was the God Apsu, the God of fresh water. And then there was the God Nebu, the God of writing and wisdom. And then we get down to Ishtar, the goddess of love, the procreator. This was the one that got it all started. You remember uh, Samara 
Oh, I'm trying to remember the name of uh, of Samaritus or some kind of itis there. But anyway, Samaritus, I believe. But anyway, she was married unto this great hunter. What's his name? Nimrod the hunter, that's right. Coming from the family of Cush, if I remember correctly. And uh, so anyway, they were married. And of course, uh, Nimrod was a mighty hunter, a mighty warrior. And he took over a great part of the, the known world at that time. And during the days of Nimrod, uh, pretty much everyone spoke all the same language and everything. And uh, so God saw all the confusion, all the babble and everything that was going on. They spoke the same language. They all were dwelling together in the same place. And so God, because they were building a tower called the Tower of Babel, uh, God sent confusion, and God separated them according to what the Bible says also in Genesis chapter 10. That was all in the days of Peleg. <clears throat> and uh, according to uh, uh, Jewish historians, they believe that uh, somehow with, with uh, Nimrod and Peleg and Cush and all of those that were involved in that part of the world, that part of Abraham's descendants come from that part of the family. But God had, in a very special way, wanted to bring Abraham's family out of all of that. And so one thing that the Lord did in that day and time was that he confused their language. But another thing that God, had, God was able to do that he was able to separate the continent because uh, most uh, Christian scientists that have studied this globe believe at one time it was just one big huge continent. And in the days of Peleg, the Bible says God divided the lands and they somehow drifted apart. Now, whether you believe that or not, that's okay. We'll find out when we get to heaven. But uh, anyway, uh, during in that part of the region... Uh, Nimrod's wife, after Nimrod died, well, uh, she uh, ended up having an affair with her son, and uh, later her son died in battle. No one knew what was going on, and so she claimed that, that she was virgin, uh, she was virgin, and she gave virgin birth to a child, and uh, so that child became one of her gods. And that's how this whole religion of Ishtar uh, began. And so we find that when the, in the pagan religion, if you get into it, and I don't want to get into a lot of that because uh, I want to get into our study, but, you know, within when the Catholic religion, that's why we have Easter in re reference to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because it gives credence and it gives reference over to Ishtar, which is Easter, that also gave birth about the same time that Jesus Christ was born unto the true Son and living God. And so, anyway, Moloch, he had a daughter and her name was Ishtar. And so we have all these various gods. They worship all the various stars and the constellations. So they worship Jupiter. They worship Venus. They worship Saturn. They worship the sun. And they had various gods that represented all these constellations. 
and they were putting all of their faith. And this carried on, it carried on through all the different cultures. They had different gods, but most of them all come from the same place. And so you can imagine here, uh, God brings down these Hebrew children, and God, in a very unique sort of a way, is wanting to bring his testimony unto these heathens. That's how much the Lord loves lost souls. And God had orchestrated and God allowed the children of Israel uh, to be brought into captivity. He warned them because of their disobedience that that would happen. Some people say that he predestinated it that way. But no, God does not predestinate. He, he foreknows and then based on what he foreknows, he predestinates. It's like if I was watching the Seahawks maybe playing against the Denver Broncos or whatever. And, and I'm listening, or maybe not watching, listening on the radio, and, uh, and it's live. And so right up uh, at the end of the game, the Seahawks win. They kick a field goal, and they win. And so I go over to Jeff's house, and he's watching the football game on his television set. It's five minutes to late. And I say to Jeff, I'll bet you $50 that Seahawks going to win that game. And he said, okay, I'll bet you. And so I went $50 because I foreknew what was going to happen. I didn't predestinate it. I just knew it was going to happen because I was there when it happened. You see, with God, time doesn't exist. God sees everything from the beginning to the end. And then he plans, he has a plan for what he sees, for whom he foreknew, he predestinated. And so God allowed these children to go down into that land. That's why the Bible says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose hearts are perfect toward him. To show himself strong. It's amazing what God can do just through a few men or even one man. Look what the Lord was able to do with one man by the name of Moses. And what God was able to do through one man of faith by the name of Abraham. How God was able to save the human race through one man by the name of Noah. It's amazing what the Lord is able to do. And so God has this one man. His name is Daniel. And uh, God is his judge. And God is going to use him in a very special way. Not only to reach Nebuchadnezzar, but God cares about these Babylonian people. He cares about uh, uh, how they're stooped in religion. A pagan religion that uh, God hates and wants to destroy. And so God is working behind the scenes, and how interesting is that? As we see the Lord working. They were worshiping these pagan gods, believing that these pagan gods truly existed. But later on, many begin to find out that there's only one true and living God. There's not many gods. All these other religions out there, we're living in a day and time of paganism. I don't know if you've noticed some of the uh, <clears throat> bumper stickers and shirts that people are wearing that have all the different symbols of the various religions, Christianity, Hebrew, Buddhism, uh, <clears throat> Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses, uh, uh, Islam, every religion that you can think of is all, you know, in, all symbolized in in this one platform and they paste it on shirts and they put it on bumper stickers and people run around proud, proudly exposing 
that they believe that all religions lead to the same place, and they do. They all lead to hell. And there's only one way you can get to heaven. That way is very narrow, and it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Daniel <clears throat> is now going to have the opportunity to introduce Nebuchadnezzar to one God. And he's the true and the living God. Isaiah said it best. And, of course, Isaiah, you know, he was alive during, or, well, I, he wasn't alive during the time of Daniel. He was 100 years before the time of Daniel. But Isaiah prophesied that Daniel would end up there. Isaiah prophesied to Hezekiah because Hezekiah was pridefully showing off everything that he owned and all of his power and all of his wealth unto the Syrian king. And so God was angry because of his pride. And God said, yeah, I'm going to spare you, but I'm not going to spare your children. Uh, they're going to die before uh, your son's eyes, but I'm going to allow your grandsons uh, to go into captivity and be made eunuchs. And so a hundred years, it was, prophes it was prophesied. A hundred years later, it was fulfilled, and Daniel was one of those sons or grandsons. And so <clears throat> now he is able to share what was already proclaimed by Isaiah a hundred years earlier, that there is a true and living God in heaven, and besides God, there is none other. I like what Isaiah says in verse number 45, beginning with verse number 5, where he says, I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God besides me. And here they were referring to their gods as the only true and living God. And they dwell in heaven, but they don't dwell among men. Well, God dwells in heaven, but he also dwells among men. And he dwells within the hearts of men. And the Lord said in, in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse number Verse number six, he says, I girded thee, uh, and thou hast known me. He says, they that may know from the rising of the sun from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. Amen. Now, that's interesting. God says this several times, more than a dozen or a half a dozen times. He goes on to say in verse number seven, from the light, he created darkness he says, I make peace, I create evil, I, the Lord, do all these things. I drop down, ye, the heavens from above. I let the skies pour down from righteousness. I let the earth open. I let them bring forth salvation. I let the righteous spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. He goes on to say in verse number 12, he says, And all their host have I commanded. Thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it and had established it and created it and not in vain. He goes on to say that uh, he who created it not in vain, I the Lord speak righteousness. I declare these things that are right. Assemble yourselves and come and draw nigh together that you may escape of the nations. They have no knowledge that set up wood of their graven images and pray to gods that cannot save, tell you, and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together, who have declared this from the ancient times, who have told it from this time and that time. Have not I the Lord, and there is no God else besides me, a just God, 
a Savior. There is none besides me. Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. That's interesting. Six times God makes it very clear. Through that passage of Scripture, as you read through the chapter, he continues to repeat that I am God, and there is none besides me. In fact, God said he looked over all the heavens that he created, and he says, and I look beyond the heavens. I've looked into eternity past and eternity future, and I have found no other God besides me. I am the true and living God. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. But we live in a very humanistic society today. We have all these philosophers and psychiatrists and everyone else that are telling people, you know, you need to come and get counseling. We're going to help you with your emotional problems. We're going to help you with your drug addiction. We want you to understand that there are many gods. A tree can be a god. A door can be a god. Uh, you know, they, they come across, you know, with this pantheistic, polytheistic type of attitude, you know, that the earth is God. It's Mother Earth. And and so God is all around us. We're standing on God. We're breathing God. We're eating God, you know. Uh, and that's what pantheism is. And, and, and they incorporate that within their, within their philosophy and within their psychology and within their psychiatric counseling, uh, brainwashing people. And we've come to a place to where now we have religion saying all forms of faith and worship lead to the same place. It leads to a place of peace. It leads to a place of panacea. It leads to a utopia. And it, it, you create the heaven in your heart, in your mind. As long as you can meditate and do your yoga or whatever you want to do, you know, you're fine. So let's just all get out there and believe what we need to believe. That's what was going on there. And they come up with all these crazy different ideas and crazy different beliefs. And so we have Oprah now coming up with her religion. We have all these new religions is constantly popping up and people flock, flocking to them. All these new age worships and people channeling these so-called gods and disembodied spirits, spirits. And so we're coming back to the days of Babylon. Well, it's very interesting, the time that we're living in. And so <clears throat> we get back to verse number uh, verse number, I believe it was verse number two, yes, of um, Isaiah 43. What am I saying back to? You haven't been there yet. Isaiah 43, verse number two. I want you to notice they made the comment that God dwells in heaven or their gods dwell, not with men, but he dwells somewhere up there or they dwell somewhere up there in the heaven, but they don't dwell among men. But God makes it very clear that, yes, I do dwell in heaven, but also dwell within the hearts of men. I dwell with men. I dwell with the children of Israel. I dwell with the people of God. And God makes it very clear that I'm always with you. We read in Isaiah 43 and verse number 2, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And God is there. And God is spirit. We worship God in spirit and truth. Uh, the heavens can't contain God. The earth can't contain God. And God is omnipotent. God is omniscient. God is eternal. God is all over. God is everywhere. God is a spirit. God dwells in my heart. He dwells in your heart. He's not polytheistic. He's not pantheistic. 
He is monotheistic. He's only one, but he lives within the hearts of God's people. He dwells among the lost. He walks among the nations. He lives within the people. We can talk to him at any moment, regardless where we're at. You can talk to him. I can talk to him. A million people at one time can pray, and he hears every prayer. A billion people can pray. God is there. When we're in trouble, God is there. And God is there wherever you're at. And so, therefore, God is in every place. You cannot remove God. God is eternal. God is omnipresent. God is omnipotent. God is immutable. He changes not. He is always there. He will always be. He continues to exist. And he lives within our hearts. He lives on heaven. And he came to this earth. And he embodied himself in human flesh. And yet he's still a spirit. And he lives within our hearts. But yet we'll see him as a man. And we can't understand that. We can't explain that. But Jesus made it very clear. I will always be with you. I go and prepare a place for you. But I will not leave you alone. I'll send my spirit. He will dwell with you. And then I'll come and receive you unto myself. And you'll be with me. And I'll be with you in a physical form. All of these things are things that God has promised to us. No pagan God could ever do that because they do not exist. Only the true and living God. So God says, I will be with thee through the rivers. They shall not overflow thee. When you walk us through the fires, thou shall not be burned. Neither shall the fire kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. Fear not, for I am with thee. So here is Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. And so they're, they've been threatened that they're going to be cut to pieces, torn lid from limb. Are they fearful? Are they shattering in the fear of what's about to happen? No, they, they just simply decide, now we better get together and we need to pray. We need to call upon our Savior to deliver us. And so they had confidence and they believed that God could deliver them. And so God is now preparing Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar to understand that his religion and the people that he's been trusting in, it's a useless religion. And he needs to turn from that and turn to the Lord. And eventually God, I do believe that God was able to reach Nebuchadnezzar. We'll find out when we get to chapter 4. But God has to humble him first. But he does reach Nebuchadnezzar. I believe when we get to heaven, he's going to be there. And so as we move on, we see Daniel's appeal is quite interesting. I'll just kind of throw this out real quickly at you. We notice that when Daniel makes his appeal, first of all, he understands that when you appeal before the Lord, regardless of whatever the problem is, uh, you've got to appeal through prayer. You have to trust in the Lord. You have to wait upon the Lord. God, God doesn't work in our time schedule. God works in his time schedule. God may not immediately work the problem out at that very moment, but God will deliver us from the problem in his time. And so Daniel understood that. Daniel understood that right now we need some time. So Daniel appealed. He said, just give us some time. He, he somehow, I don't know if he gets audience before the king, but somehow he gets a message before the king if you'll give us some time, my God will reveal to you what you dreamed and give to you the interpretation. But we need a little time. 
So Daniel understood, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, you, if, if you want God to reveal this thing to you, and evidently Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar was quite troubled about what he dreamed. He couldn't remember what he dreamed, but it was really troubling him. And so he was willing to put off this execution to give Daniel some time. Daniel understood that God doesn't work according to Nebuchadnezzar's calendar, nor does he work according to our calendar. But we must have the faith to understand that God can work out the schedule and the timing to which he will work things out. And we got to, by faith, go through the storm and believe God is with us and he'll deliver us from the storm. The thing that really troubles me, and I, I know this sounds like a pet peeve with me, but I'm a little concerned about all the fear that's out there over this COVID-19. I fear the vaccine more than I do the COVID-19, to be quite honest with you, because <clears throat> it is something that's man-made, and I'm, I don't trust man. I don't trust, trust them one iota. They've lied to us from the beginning. They continue to lie to us. And they will continue on to lie to us, lie after lie after lie. And they think we're a bunch of idiots that we can't remember. We, we have short-term memory. We might have a little, we must all have a little bit of Alzheimer's or dementia or something. Because we can't remember three months ago what they said about the vaccine. But if you take the vaccine, you don't need to wear the mask. You don't need to social distance. You're okay. Uh, you're going to be fine. The vaccine is going to deliver you from the virus. Now they're saying, no, well, it won't deliver you. You still could come down with it, and you may be contagious. So you need to wear a mask. You need to social distance. And so we have places in the valley where you have to wear a mask, places in the valley where you can't go into restaurants unless you have the vaccine, other places where you can't. Does that make any sense? We have Fauci that has been proven that he lied to us more than 11 times and yet we continue people continue to listen and trust in what Fauci has to say and God says fear not and yet there are people that continue to fear well you know I don't know if I can come to church anymore because I'm concerned about this delta virus I'm concerned about what it may do well God says fear not trust in him God says to assemble to assemble God in his time is going to work it all out we don't trust in the vaccine. We trust in the Lord. If you want an inoculation, get an inoculation of the word of God. Get a little more of an inoculation of the Holy Spirit. Uh, get on your knees and spend some time in prayer and meditation with God. And God will give you a deliverance. And God will pull you through this thing. And so this is what they were doing. They were trusting in the Lord. They were believing in the Lord. Daniel trusted that God would give him the interpretation Give him the dream and the interpretation, and God did. I like what the psalmist says. The psalmist, when he wrote over there in Psalms 37, verse number 3, he says, Trust in the Lord and do good, and thou shalt dwell in the land, and thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. Commit thy ways unto the Lord. Trust in him, and he shall bring it to pass, and he shall bring forth Thy righteousness as the light, thy judgment as the noonday, rest in the Lord, wait patiently upon him. God didn't say when things go well, do this and things will continue to go well. God said that to the children of Israel, many of them were going through great trials and great heartaches and great sorrows. And yet psalmist to psalmist is writing, David went through a lot of heartache. David went through a lot of trouble. 
And yet David could say while Saul was chasing him and while Saul was trying to kill him, while Absalom was trying to overthrow his kingdom, while he was out there battling and fighting all the time and, and wrestling with the devil and everything else that was trying to destroy the kingdom, David was saying, trust in the Lord. God is going to be with us. God is there to take care of us. Yes, life is a journey. And in that journey, there's going to be battles and there's going to be threats and there are going to be heartaches and there are going to be sorrows. But when we wait upon the Lord, we trust in the Lord, he gives us the peace to go through the storm and the protection while we're going through the storm. He doesn't take us out of the storm. Many times he leaves us in the storm, but he allows us to get through the storm. And so, yes, I mean, it's a, it was very stormy for these guys. I mean, you could have that kind of a threat hanging over your head. And so we find that Daniel understood. He understood that God can put favor in the heart of Nebuchadnezzar toward him. You see, sometimes we forget that God can change the hearts of people. And he can turn the hearts of our enemy toward us. And that we can find favor, not only in the sight of God, but in the sight of man. And at this time, Nebuchadnezzar is an enemy to these wise men. And David's psalm, or pardon me, Daniel is considered to be one of the wise men. But Daniel believed that God could change his heart. And so they prayed, believing and trusting that he would have an audience with God, and God gave him that audience. But when Daniel prayed, he prayed with confidence. He wasn't fearful. He wasn't afraid. You see, fear is a snare to the Lord. When we come before God, we need to believe and we need to trust that God is going to deliver us. When we're on our knees crying and fearful and afraid and saying, oh God, what am I going to do? I'm so afraid that I'll come down with this horrible disease and I'll die. You remember the story of uh, Job? You read over there in the last couple verses of Job chapter 3. You remember what Job said? He said, those things that I greatly feared have come upon me. Well, what happened to Job? He lost his family. He lost his wealth. He lost his health. And Job said in Job chapter 3, those things that I greatly feared has come upon me. God, help us not to give an inch of any ground to the devil. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. And so Daniel wasn't fearful and afraid. I don't believe that for a moment. You can't uh, threaten a man like Daniel with heaven. And Daniel understood that his God was able to deliver him. Daniel had purposed in his heart that he was going to serve the Lord. He wasn't fearful of the cost it might bring. He just knew that his God was with him. Do we have that same kind of faith? With every head bowed. It's amazing when we get into the word of God and we begin to study God's word. How God comes alive. 
If you want to know God and you want to have a relationship with the Lord, you're not going to be able to see that relationship grow with the Lord until you spend time with him. As you get into the word, as you spend time meditating over the word, it needs to be our meditation all the day long. As we join together in prayer, as we get others involved in prayer, God begins to do marvelous things. I believe that there's going to be some battles that we're going to have to battle together. But if we'll trust the Lord and come together in prayer, humble ourselves before the Lord, I believe God will show himself mighty. He wants to do so in this church. I would like to see before the Lord comes, I would like to see a revival. I would like to see our services packed out every time the doors are open. I would like to see our people willing to dig a little deeper and give a little more for missions. A beautiful facility on our church property. The doors open and giving us more walls to reach people with. And going outside of those walls and bringing them in and tearing down those walls and, and building larger walls. But it won't happen unless we're willing to get into the battle to trust God not be so fearful about what tomorrow will bring, but just willing to stand for the Lord in this moment and this time and trust God with tomorrow. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your precious word. Thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for the testimony that we, we read from these men of faith. I can't think of a greater servant and then that of Daniel and that of Joseph and that of Moses, these great men, the great men of Isaiah time and Jeremiah's time and Ezekiel's time. May we become acquainted with these men of faith. May we live their lives through the faith of your word and stand firm as they stood. And when we are up against it with the enemies of this world and, and the mandates and all the different issues that they're throwing at us. And I believe the greatest threat right now is not the COVID virus, but um, the mandates and what they want to do to destroy the lives of people, to, to wreck their homes, to destroy uh, their jobs and take away from them their opportunity to earn an income. We're living in some unusual times, and may we not be afraid of them, but may we be fearful of what you would do if we allow the snare of fear to cause us to, to weaken under the pressure of man. May we stand firm. May we stand like Daniel. May we, as the song said, purpose in our hearts to be a Daniel and if need to stand alone. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.